Let's uh, go ahead and pray. Holy Father, uh, thank you for this evening. Thank you for bringing us safely together. And I pray that you'd uh, protect those on the, the roads and uh, any fellow believers or anyone's uh, coming to the, our study tonight. Uh, and I pray that you'd bring us back uh, home safely and we'd be able to gather again uh, this Sunday. Uh, we thank you for the opportunity to open up your word uh, to in the knowledge of you and of your son. Uh, pray that you'd give us uh, understanding and wisdom, uh, that we would understand the, uh, the, the prophecies, the things that you declared beforehand concerning uh, your son. And so we uh, thank you for these things and pray that they'd be to your honor and glory. Uh, we pray in your son's name. Amen. Well, Eric had a sermon recently and he touched on uh, Isaiah uh, and the prophecy there and so there, there are some things that I don't know if any of you how many of you were at our uh, Isaiah studies where we went in uh, a lot of depth into Isaiah 7 and really the structure of uh, the whole opening chapters of Isaiah uh, any of you so we're not going to be able to go. We're not going to be able to go into that depth again. What? When was that? That would have been probably over a year ago. Uh, and so I think we were maybe finishing up uh, about about a year ago in uh, the the winter months, if I remember correctly. Uh, and so yeah, we we went in tremendous depth. And let me just see here if. Not sure if I have them. I, I thought about printing some out. I had uh, some charts, kind of outlines for the uh, the beginning chapters of Isaiah. I'm not sure if I have any on me tonight. Well, they're online. Otherwise, you can email me, and I'll I'll send them. I can uh, bring some. Uh, but so we looked looked in depth, but there, there's some things I want to touch on that we didn't get to go into it as much uh, that we've alluded to, we've touched on uh, in some of our other classes, maybe at the beginning of a class, but haven't made it uh, our topic. Just even concerning uh, people like uh, Eliakim, who replaces Shebna, and it says that the uh, the whole house God will put it on his shoulders. Uh, it's drawing on these themes and these ideas from uh, Isaiah chapter 9. But you see that you see God's faithfulness to his promises. You see him preserve his promises. Uh, but you don't see the final uh, culmination uh, of them. And uh, Eliakim is probably often overlooked uh, as far as the Davidic line uh, in the genealogy that we'll see in uh, the Gospel of uh, Luke. And so, just beginning in, in Matthew, I uh, just want to touch very quickly that you, you have this opening section where you have this, uh, the prophecy uh, concerning the vir virgin uh, that uh, Matthew uh, raises, the, the first prophecy that we see uh, declared uh, here that he cites, and you have a series of citations. Uh, and as far as those that are explicitly used the word fulfillment, 
I believe the seventh is on the, uh, the lips of Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, he says, uh, do not think that I came to, uh, to loose or to annul uh, Moses and the prophets, but to fulfill them. And he talks about fulfilling uh, all the scriptures, all, all that's uh, written. And so you have kind of this uh, thematic idea that's uh, woven throughout. But here you have this uh, first prophecy and you have a series uh, following his birth and uh, about his first two years uh, and eventually moving back to, uh, I mean, being born in Bethlehem, uh, and eventually being protected from uh, Herod uh, and going back to uh, Nazareth as they uh, come, out of, come out of Egypt. But this first one is from Isaiah. Uh, and the important thing that we dealt with, uh, with some complexity, is that oftentimes we read the Bible backwards. And so we don't understand Isaiah in any real depth. We read Matthew, and then we assume from our understanding of that that Okay, that covers it. It's just, it's simple, it's easy. Uh, and so we quote Isaiah as a proof text. Was it Isaiah 7, 14 or uh, thereabouts? It's just a proof text. But Matthew assumes his audience already knows uh, Isaiah uh, in some depth. And uh, Matthew uh, betrays that he knows Isaiah in a lot of depth, <laughs> uh, more depth than uh, any of us uh, know and understand Isaiah. And so it's once you have the background in Isaiah, now you can uh, come to understand uh, the richness and the depth uh, of the, uh, the prophecy there. Uh, and so just reading through uh, Isaiah, or Matthew, Matthew 1, uh, verse uh, 18. Uh, and Jim, would, would you mind reading uh, to, the, to the end of the chapter, verse 25? 18 to sure. 25. Now... The time, no, now, birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. All right, so we're all familiar with that, uh, that prophecy uh, and with a citation from Isaiah 7, verse 14. And so when we read that, uh, without the background in Isaiah, we assume, okay, that covers it all. You know, that's everything. Uh, but without the background, we go to Isaiah, and we'll find 
there's a little more depth there, uh, as, as Eric was uh, speaking about. And a lot of times people just read Isaiah 7.14. Maybe you read what comes before, but they, they just stop and, and don't read even the, the very next line that kind of follows uh, this prophecy and the, and the series of lines that, that build on the prophecy uh, relating even to Isaiah's own day. Uh, but then as you keep reading and if you eventually make it to Isaiah uh, chapter markers weren't there, but uh, chapter 9, uh, the light on the Gentiles, uh, and this son being born. If you're patient enough to read that far, you'll see that it then projects into the future and concerns uh, the Davidic promises, uh, Davidic heir, uh, Davidic lineage, the covenant, uh, and, and all of those things. But you have to be, you have to be a little patient to, uh, to get there. And then... Go to, and so throughout the rest of, again, no chapter markers, but chapter two, it covers his, about his first two years. Uh, and then as you get into chapter three, you have John the Baptist uh, preparing the way. Uh, he also quotes from Isaiah uh, four, or uh, Matthew does anyways, for this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said that the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Uh, make his path straight. Uh, and so you have John the Baptist, uh, the herald uh, of the anointed one uh, to, uh, to come uh, and preparing the, the very way of the Lord. Uh, as you read about like in Malachi, uh, the Lord will come, come to, his, to his temple. Uh, Yahweh himself, God, God himself. Uh, and then as you go along and he's baptized, you have the temptation in chapter 4 uh, where the devil uh, tries to tempt him. And just following uh, that, as you get to verse uh, 12, he comes out of the, the wilderness. Uh, then in verse 12, it then says, Now when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light, and for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, uh, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so you have kind of this, kind of a bookend of sorts, but this framing as Jesus goes from, from his initial birth, and you have this quotation from Isaiah, and then the, the heralding of John the Baptist, now to uh, following the temptation in the wilderness, launching into his ministry, you have this quotation uh, from, uh, from Isaiah uh, going to uh, Isaiah uh, chapter 9, uh, the beginning of chapter 9, that's part of this whole section in Isaiah. And so Matthew uh, frames from his birth uh, to, the, to the introduction and launching into his ministry around these texts. He understands that they're related and connected together. And you have to work from chapter 7 in Isaiah 
uh, with Ahaz all the way to chapter 9 and beyond. And so Matthew understands how Isaiah is framed. He he understands the structure of it. He understands how uh, the parts are related uh, to the whole. So let's go to Isaiah chapter 7. And so, since so many uh, weren't here for our Isaiah study, we can't go into the same depth, but maybe we'll change it up and we'll go two weeks on this just so we can cover a little more and I don't uh, completely uh, lose you. But uh, then if you'd like, uh, we have uh, more in-depth classes uh, online. And so, in Isaiah, uh, you, you have a series of sections in Isaiah... Uh, chapters 1 through uh, 12. And uh, as I said, I don't have the, uh, the, the chart outlined with me, uh, but uh, we can put it online. Uh, you can email me. I'll, I'll send it to you. Uh, and so in chapter 1, you have basically the introduction to Isaiah that covers the whole gamut of themes uh, about the rebellion of God's people, uh, calling them to repentance, uh, the uh, the warning of judgment that, uh, that's going to come upon them, uh, and also salvation of a remnant. Uh, and so chapter 1 really sets the stage for the entire book of Isaiah. And then as you get into chapter 2, you get into the first oracle, uh, which is framed around about chapters 2 through 4, uh, beginning and ending uh, with, uh, beginning with the, the nation streaming to God's uh, holy hill, uh, to Mount Zion, uh, to be taught the, the ways, the instruction, the, the law of, of Yahweh. Uh, they say, come, come, let us, uh, let us go. And in fact, go to chapter 2. It's very short, so we'll go ahead and read it. So at the very beginning, uh, the word that Isaiah, the son of uh, Amos, uh, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of Yahweh shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it and many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of Yahweh to the house of the God of Jacob that he may teach us his ways and that uh, that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law. And the word of Yahweh from Jerusalem, he shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. And so you're, you're looking at the very, uh, the very end, the whole purpose uh, of God in creation uh, in his covenants, uh, informing uh, Israel as a, a kingdom of priests, a holy nations to make Yahweh known uh, to, the, to the ends of the earth. Uh, and here you, you see this a grand, glorious vision uh, of all of God's uh, promises, uh, his presence, his provision, his blessing, his rule, uh, extending to all the earth and even all the nations coming 
uh, to worship uh, the one true living God, uh, the God of, of Israel. And so uh, following all, all the, the, the judgment that you see in chapter 1 and, and the warnings of repentance and, and promise of blessing, uh, but uh, severe warnings, you see this glorious vision. Uh, but then, as you keep reading, uh, nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. For you have rejected your people, the house of Jacob, because they are full of things from the east and of fortune tellers like the Philistines. And they strike hands with the children of foreigners. Their land is filled with silver and gold, and there is no end to their treasures. Their land is filled with horses, and there is no end to their chariots. Their land is filled with idols. They bow down to the work of their hands. Uh, to what their own fingers have made, so man is humbled, and each one is brought low. Do not forgive them. Enter into the rock and hide in the dust from before the terror of Yahweh and from the splendor of his majesty. Uh, the haughty looks of man shall be brought low, and the lofty pride of men shall be humbled, and Yahweh alone will be exalted in that day. Uh, and so, transition from this glorious vision at the, at the very end uh, of, of the age uh, in, in the, the fullness of God's kingdom uh, in blessing and word extending to all nations. Now Isaiah turns to his very own people and they're filled with things from the east. They're taught by the peoples. They're taught by the, by the foreigners who don't even know God, who don't even know the creator. In fact, they're filled with idols and all the things they warned them about, uh, not uh, not gathering too many chariots and too much silver and gold uh, so that they would trust in those things and not fear God anymore. And so they're taught by all the peoples instead of the peoples being taught by them. Uh, they're, they're the ones who have the word of God. They're the ones who have uh, the, the deposit and uh, all of the, the treasures of God's revelation uh, to them, but uh, they're filled with the things from the east. And so this then goes to the day of Yahweh, uh, which Eric has covered, and you read about this in, uh, would be uh, chapter around six or so of, of Revelation. You, you have all the, uh, the seal judgments, maybe just a, a bit beyond. Uh, but you see that they, they even uh, the lowest and the greatest and kings and uh, all of them, uh, they, go and, they go and hide. Uh, they hide among the cliffs and, uh, and call for the stones to fall upon them. Uh, John is uh, drawing on, uh, on this. And so as you keep reading, there's this progression where they keep going. Uh, they, they go into the, to the hills and uh, to the valleys or uh, along the cliffs. And they keep going deeper, deeper, uh, farther and farther away into the holes, into the caverns, into the caves uh, as they try and get away from, uh, from Yahweh in his uh, day of judgment, even casting their idols to the moles and to the bats. Uh, and so there, there's this progression going deeper, deeper, farther, farther away, trying to flee from God, kind of like the first man and woman uh, who tried to hide among the, uh, the trees. And so uh, this uh, judgment theme continues. Uh, go to Isaiah chapter 4. Uh, it turns to, and see, so of all the nations, judgment upon, upon all the nations, uh, the, the great and terrible day of Yahweh, uh, and turns to uh, all of their uh, their rulers, uh, the uh, the 
the elders, uh, the women. God pronounces judgment on, on all of the, the peoples as you see society uh, unravel uh, with the, the judgments and even uh, having uh, children and women as the rulers or, or a man uh, where they say uh, they go to their brother uh, and he has a cloak. And so they, uh, they say, uh, you'll be ruler over uh, this pile of rubble because uh, you have a cloak. You know, not, not any of us have that. So uh, that would make him fit and proper to be a ruler. That's how bad things are. Uh, the, the one guy with the cloak, uh, how about you lead us? Uh, and so he turns uh, judgment on the elders, judgment on the women, uh, all of society. Uh, and it, it concludes that section. In fact, the chapter marker is at kind of an odd place, but we will read it. Uh, well, and right before it says, and her... Uh, well, it talks about your men shall fall by the sword and your mighty men in battle and her gates shall lament and mourn empty. She shall sit on uh, the ground. Uh, maybe a personification uh, even of, uh, could be of, of Israel. Uh, but you, you have the women. Uh, and then the, the chapter marker. Uh, and seven women shall take hold of one man in that day saying, we will eat our own bread and wear our own clothes. Only let us be called by your name. Take away our reproach. And so seven women, uh, one man, uh, just begging because of the, the judgment that's come upon their, their men, uh, their warriors, uh, their, their young men. And so the complete unraveling of, of society uh, in destruction. Uh, but then as... Uh, Isaiah is one to do, uh, verse 2. In that day, uh, the branch of Yahweh shall be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the land shall be the pride and honor of the survivors of Israel. And he who is left in Zion and remains in Jerusalem will be called holy, everyone who has been recorded for life in Jerusalem. When the Lord uh, shall have washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion and cleansed the bloodstains of Jerusalem from its midst by a spirit of judgment and by a spirit of burning. Then Yahweh will create over the whole site of Mount Zion and over her assemblies a cloud by day and smoke and the shining of a flaming fire by night. For over all of the glory there will be a canopy. Uh, there will be a booth uh, kind of like a, a tabernacle a tent for, uh, for shade by day from the heat and for a refuge and a shelter from the storm and rain. Uh, and so it, uh, it returns again uh, to, uh, to Zion, uh, to God's holy hill, uh, to his people, to Jerusalem, bookending, framing this, this whole thing. Uh, Isaiah uh, from chapter, beginning of chapter 2 uh, to uh, chapter 4. Uh, this whole section of the word that came uh, to Isaiah from uh, the Lord, uh, looking ultimately framed around uh, his salvation and redemption uh, in glory uh, for, for the remnant, uh, for his people. And you have these remnant themes that are woven throughout, uh, throughout all of Isaiah uh, and repeat throughout. And so sometimes they'll look at the remnant at large. A lot of times, uh, uh, Israel, uh, broadly speaking, uh, not just the northern kingdom, but, but Israel, uh, the people, uh, they're talked about as God's pleasant, 
planting. Uh, they're talked about God, uh, God plants them and grows them uh, kind of like along the, uh, the, the waters and streams of living uh, water. You have all these ideas like going back to the, uh, the Torah, uh, God's planting, uh, his people that he grows, uh, he builds, he provides for and nourishes. Uh, and so you have the remnant, but then along with the remnant, uh, a lot of times you'll get more specific and you'll see, uh, you'll see uh, the Davidic uh, lineage, uh, the Davidic line, a uh, God's uh, anointed one, which is what, that's what Messiah in Christ means, as, as we've spoken about. Uh, how many here know that uh, Saul was God's Messiah? Saul was God's Christ. You see, uh, by transliterating those words into English, uh, Mashiach in Hebrew and uh, Christos in Greek means anointed. And so it's used through, throughout consistently. Our translations are highly inconsistent. And so where it talks about Jesus, the Christ, it's Jesus, the anointed. Jesus anointed. God's anointed. It connects back to the promises uh, to David. Saul was God's anointed whom he rejected. Uh, but David, God would build an everlasting house. And you see that with Solomon and from generation to generation. Uh, Hezekiah, Josiah. And so our translations are highly inconsistent. Uh, and so when, when, if you uh, have a certain level of fluency uh, in Hebrew, for instance, you hear the concept, the idea of anointed, anointed, anointed. Uh, it's consistent throughout. And you go read a, a modern translation in Hebrew of the New Testament, it's, just, it's still Mashiach. Uh, it's still anointed. Same word that's used for Saul, uh, for David, uh, can be used for the priests. In uh, the, the broader concept of, of anointing, uh, God's uh, people whom he anoints, uh, the priest, uh, the high priest, uh, who's anointed and has oil poured upon him. Uh, sometimes you see that like with the, uh, the prophets or even with, uh, with Elijah. You remember, does he set, you have, I think, with Moses and Joshua setting his hands upon him, uh, but then with uh, Elijah too. You see that uh, he asks that the spirit of Elijah be upon him, but you see it's really the spirit of God uh, who is upon Elijah. And so uh, the, the spirit of Elijah uh, spirit of prophecy uh, that, that empowered him uh, it was the, is the spirit of God, the spirit of Yahweh. And so he's anointed by God. And so you see that like with the judges and uh, all of the, the offices, judge, uh, priest, uh, king, uh, and, and prophet even, uh, these ideas of, of anointing that even go, go beyond uh, the word. And so by not translating Christ and Messiah uh, it, it can mislead and, and confuse uh, where we, we don't see uh, that there's a certain level of continuity uh, where, again, if you read in Greek, uh, in, uh, the translations of the Old Testament scriptures, same word, uh, same word through, uh, throughout. Uh, but you see that uh, Jesus, uh, he's the anointed who fulfills all of the promises and brings them to their uh, their climax and uh, their culmination. And so uh, there's a certain, uh, uh, you know, to understate a certain uniqueness uh, about this one who comes down from, uh, from heaven. And so uh, you have with Isaiah, again, you have the, the first chapter that kind of gives a broad overview 
And then you have the word uh, of Yahweh uh, that came to Isaiah, chapters 2 through 4, uh, framed uh, around uh, the, the day of Yahweh, uh, which can focus on the people in that day, but also extend and look at all the nations and ultimately his, uh, his final judgment. And a lot of times, uh, Isaiah uh, and God himself, I mean, he gave Isaiah uh, these words to proclaim. He goes back and forth from the two, from their own day, but also looking to the future, looking to final judgment, looking to final uh, salvation, uh, which would also be motivation uh, for, uh, for the people to, uh, to repent, uh, to believe in Yahweh, to trust in him and hold fast to, to his promises. Yeah, I was trying to think of that verse that Christ said, looking forward to despising the shame. Remember, how does it say that one? Oh, yeah. Um, is, that, is that in for Hebrews? The, for the hope set before him. I can't remember. Yeah, the yeah. hope set before him. He endured the cross, despising the shame. Mm-hmm. When Jesus had his eyes set on the hope. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so even in his, his own ministry, uh, in his own uh, suffering, uh, he, looked, he looked forward uh, to, uh, to come. Uh, the, even the, the spiritual offspring, the heirs uh, that would come to him, uh, his brothers, believers, uh, that he would redeem uh, the glory of the kingdom, uh, the, the things to come. And so, uh, yeah, very, very good uh, connection. And so then... Now you get to this third uh, major section. In kind of chapters 1 through 12, they form a section uh, of their own, uh, and they're part of the, the bigger structure of Isaiah, which can really be divided up into uh, three major sections, uh, chapters 1 through uh, 35, uh, I believe. Yeah, 35, uh, which... Oh, I'm trying to think. I think it was Herbert Wolf. He, he summarized it uh, pretty well. He, he had kind of a nice little uh, summary commentary where he covered kind of the structure and things like that, uh, but uh, which is really under the, the Assyrian uh, threat uh, that uh, Israel was facing at this time uh, in the 8th century BC, uh, the, the 700s. Uh, Isaiah was uh, appointed to ministry as a prophet uh, right around uh, 740 uh, or so uh, BC, uh, when uh, King Uzziah died. Uh, we'll see that, chapter 6. Uh, and his ministry uh, extends uh, maybe at the longest to about uh, from 740 uh, to uh, 680, 685, 6, uh, 680. Uh, BC, uh, and so he had a really lengthy uh, ministry during this time. Uh, definitely, he lived after uh, after the, uh, the the turn of the uh, century, seven uh, hundreds BC. Uh, and so, chapters one through thirty five is really under this Assyrian uh, threat uh, that they were facing. Uh, and then chapters uh, thirty six through thirty nine, you have this historical interlude, and there's some others, but it's, uh, it's narrative uh, that's very similar to what's found, uh, for instance, in the, the book of Kings uh, that uh, talks about, uh, I believe it's Sennacherib, uh, coming and sieging uh, the, the city, uh, now with Hezekiah. Uh, his father Ahaz, we will see in chapter 7, faces 
uh, faces a threat and doesn't believe God, uh, but Hezekiah will believe, uh, and God will, uh, will deliver them, which is going to, uh, God there uh, upholds, uh, fulfills uh, many of his promises, his prophecies earlier in the book, uh, upholds them. Uh, they're not all, they don't reach their final culmination in, in the, the kingdom, uh, but uh, chapters uh, 36 uh, through 39, in those first two, you have the assault of the king of Assyria that God delivers them from, Hezekiah believes. But then in, uh, so that's chapters 36, 37. But in 38, 39, uh, you see this actually event that took about maybe a couple years earlier or so uh, with the king of uh, Babylon uh, or the Chaldeans, Merodach, uh, Baladin. That he comes and uh, Hezekiah shows him all the, uh, the, his treasuries like in the temple and all the things in his house uh, showing off. Uh, and you see that even when it comes to this whole section where he believed in God, unlike his father Ahaz. I mean, Hezekiah is a righteous king uh, compared to Ahaz. He is a believer, but he's not sinless. And so it then gets to the point where Isaiah tells him, ask for a sign. And he does, you know, unlike Ahaz, he doesn't reject it. Uh, when God's prophet tells you to ask for a sign, okay, ask for a sign. <laughs> uh, and so he does, unlike his father, uh, who revealed his unbelief. But then, but then you see when, uh, when uh, he shows uh, the, the king uh, after, after these events with, with Assyria, uh, shows the, uh, the Babylonian king, all his things in his house, uh, and then Hezekiah, or he he had sickness uh, as well that maybe kind of comes right before it, uh, but he he was sick, uh, and so he uh, he prayed to God. He, he called for Isaiah. He prayed to God, uh, and then after Isaiah told him that he would be made well and God would extend his life by uh, fifteen years, he goes. What is the sign that the Lord uh, will give me that I should go up to the house of the Lord? <laughs> and so he doesn't just believe the word, but now he's, he, he's demanding a sign that he even goes up to the house. And so you, you see this little glimpse of, of yeah, he's a believer, but, uh, you know, he, he, he fell short. You know, he's a sinner. Uh, and you see that there, there's a little unbelief there. Uh, and even after... Uh, Isaiah, because he had showed him all the things at his house, he then prophesies and says from Yahweh that uh, your sons, so heirs, descendants that follow, uh, in, in the people, will be taken to Babylon and serve the king of Babylon uh, because he had showed him all these things. And what's Hezekiah's response? Well, at least there'll be peace and safety in my day. <laughs> You know, I'll, I'll enjoy comfort, but uh, uh, yeah, the kingdom, kind of what happens after me, you know, not, not too concerned at the moment uh, uh, about that. And so you have both the, the belief of Hezekiah uh, in, 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 in contrast to his father, but you also have his shortcomings uh, that uh, the, it's framed around uh, chapters 36, 37 with the Assyrians uh, and then with uh, the Babylonians. Uh, Hezekiah's sickness, the Babylonians, you see his failings in uh, 38, uh, 39. And so you have this historical interlude. And then with the Babylonians, you have these, all these themes of, of captivity in the rest of the book of Isaiah 40 through 66. And so uh, Wolf would put it under 
uh, the the Babylonian threat or the, the captivity. Some of it might draw in things from Assyria still uh, because uh, you have to be very careful with the word Babylon uh, because it can be used for the capital city uh, that the Chaldeans uh, uh, ruled over, uh, their capital city. It can refer to, uh, to the first Babylonian empire uh, under uh, Hammurabi, so maybe around 1700 or so uh, BC, uh, and he's actually uh, uh, related uh, some centuries back even to uh, some of uh, Abraham's uh, own, own people. Uh, I think, uh, was it that the Amorites? But sometimes it makes up with Aramean Amorite, you know. Uh, uh, but from the, from the north, uh, really kind of like northern Syria region and such like that, uh, near the Tigris and the Euphrates and uh, around them. Uh, but you have the first Babylonian Empire. Uh, but then following the first Babylonian Empire, the whole region of Mesopotamia came to be called Babylonia because uh, that empire was not that long-lived, but it was significant enough in the culture that it, it spread uh, that the whole region could be called Babylonia between like the Tigris and the Euphrates and uh, Mesopotamia, the land between the rivers uh, to the north of, of Israel, uh, north, uh, northeast. Uh, in, but then with uh, Nebuchadnezzar and his father, uh, they, had, they were the Chaldean people and they formed a, a reconstituted new Babylonian empire, trying to connect back to Hammurabi uh, and those things, to this great... Uh, uh, region and so uh, it can be the capital uh, or the city Babylon. Uh, it can be the first empire uh, with Hammurabi. It can be the new empire uh, with uh, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, the the new Babylonian empire. Uh, but they were they were the Chaldean people. Uh, so in Habakkuk talks about the Chaldeans coming. It's talking about uh, uh, Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, coming and uh, his father and such uh, that bring him into captivity. Uh, and so you have to be very careful with the term because there can be a lot of confusion like when you get to Isaiah 13 and such. Uh, you have to be careful because Babylonia can just re refer to Mesopotamia. And so when Isaiah connects it with the Assyrians, that's why. Because they, were, they, were, uh, they dominated Babylonia uh, at the time. Uh, they were the rulers over Babylonia, and sometimes uh, they dominated the city of Babylon as well and tried to put kind of their guy or their king uh, on the throne. So uh, that's a bit of an excursus, though, but that connects then with you have these three parts, the Assyrian threat, the Assyrian context, chapters 1 through uh, 35 of Isaiah, then this historical interlude, which frames Assyria coming, the Babylonians, and then uh, the third and final section, Isaiah 40 through 66, uh, the Babylonian uh, context and setting, uh, more dealing with a, a lot of uh, future things. Maybe part of the exile, there are already many who had been brought into exile into the region of Babylonia under the, the Assyrians. But then you see what Isaiah says to, to Hezekiah, that your sons uh, following descendants after will go into captivity it's looking, at, it's looking at the bigger Babylonian captivity in those 70 years that uh, Eric has uh, spoken about. Uh, 6, 605, uh, and then uh, coming out 
around 638 uh, to 635 in that time, starting to come, come back into uh, the, or I mean, five, 538 uh, to 535, like around, around there, uh, 605, uh, the Babylonians first start taking them into captivity. And so that's kind of the whole book of Isaiah. So you, you can kind of set it in its bigger context. And so in this first section uh, with the Assyrians, uh, and I'll have those charts that I'll, I'll put online and uh, can bring some to, to class uh, outlines. Uh, but then within this Assyrian context, you have the first chapter that sets all the themes for the entire book. Uh, and then we just saw this second, uh, the word that came to Isaiah, uh, chapters two through four, uh, framed around uh, Mount Zion, his holy hill, uh, the nations coming to them, even in the midst of all this, all this judgment on the people on that day, but also worldwide universal, because it's through, through God's judgment, he also brings salvation uh, to his people and to the remnant. Uh, and now this third section of chapters 1 through 12, uh, we're, we're, we'll be looking more. Uh, you see uh, with uh, chapter, uh, chapter 5, It connects very closely in with uh, uh, two, uh, two through four. Uh, but here again, you have uh, you, you have this song concerning the vineyard, uh, and uh, as, as Paul Wagner uh, puts it, and I had seen a lot of these things in my own study, uh, but then as I was looking to see, you know, do I have totally rebuild the wheel? Uh, he had a very nice article that kind of fit a lot of things together uh, with the structure here. You open with this song of his vineyard, which kind of connects to Mount Zion, uh, his holy hill, uh, all of these promises that you see uh, framing two and four, kind of like bookends. Uh, you have the song of his vineyard, which here turns into a song of judgment. But then when you get to the end in chapter 12, you'll have a song of of salvation uh, that brings a conclusion to uh, this uh, this section. So you have a song of judgment and the song of salvation. But we open with uh, the song of uh, judgment. And so let's just look at a, a little bit of this. Uh, and we won't go through uh, through all of it. Uh, but let's open with this uh, song. And also keep in mind that uh, these, uh, the, the word that comes to Isaiah, uh, these uh, oracles, uh, generally uh, the prophets, there are some things, maybe at times they're just told to write something down. But generally, they were to go speak these to the people. Uh, and Isaiah even has... Uh, as, as we'll see, uh, he seems to have a, a priestly background even uh, where he, he's uh, ministering like even in the, the temple uh, and sees God kind, kind of like Jeremiah uh, has, has a priestly uh, background. But uh, prophets could be sent sometimes to the northern kingdom, uh, sometimes to the southern uh, kingdom. Uh, some, some of them would go back and forth a little bit. 
Uh, and so they, they'd be sent uh, different places to prophesy, but a lot of times at the capital cities like Samaria, uh, the capital of the northern kingdom, uh, when the kingdoms were divided, uh, that was sometimes called Ephraim because of the very prominent tribe that descended from Joseph right in the, the heartland of the hill country there uh, with uh, its capital, uh, Samaria, uh, but also oftentimes called Israel because most of the tribes uh, were, uh, were connected with the northern kingdom, uh, whereas uh, Judah, uh, often uh, Benjamin, or at least part of it, uh, just to the north of Judah, there to the south of the other tribes, in uh, in Simeon, were connected with the southern uh, the southern region, but most of the tribes were part of the, the northern kingdom when they were split apart and divided after after Solomon. And so Isaiah, uh, he was a pro- a prophet, uh, especially and particularly most of his prophecy was to the kingdom of Judah uh, and uh, even to the the kings. Uh, took place uh, in Jerusalem. And so uh, they would even go uh, to the gates uh, of uh, outside like the, the temple, uh, outside uh, the city, uh, and they would make proclamation uh, to the kings, uh, to the people, to the, to the rulers, uh, to whoever that God would send them to, uh, to proclaim their, their messages of judgment and salvation. And so just keep that in mind as they're making proclamation uh, to the people in these public settings uh, that, uh, that can be heard. And I think the response question was that yeah. that was a prophets you were talking about that make the proclamation. Did yeah. the nation Israel ever did, you know, I was kind of thinking, did God use them as kind of a means of spreading himself to the nations or is, is there a verse that says that? Well, Certainly, there's part of that was supposed to be uh, central to the role of, of Israel, even as a kingdom of priests uh, and, and a holy nation. Uh, and so they, they were to be, uh, they, they were to kind of be God's mediators uh, between the nations and the people. And you see, you see that Israel, they have a high priest who mediates for them, but they were to be a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. And so not everyone could go in the, into the tabernacle or uh, later the temple that was constructed under uh, Solomon. Uh, they couldn't all, uh, go directly you know, in, into the, the tent or into the holy place or the holy of holies. Uh, only the high priest could go in there once a year. But they, they were to mediate uh, on behalf and make God known uh, to the nations. And uh, very much when they saw, they're supposed to see the wisdom of the people that were taught by God and redeemed by God and who believed in him and walked in his ways. Uh, and the people were to take notice, kind of like when you see under uh, Solomon, you see the queen of Sheba who comes to visit and see, uh, see uh, what God had done for Solomon. And, and they even, some of them even proclaim uh, what great things that Yahweh had done for this nation and, uh, and given them such a, uh, a righteous and wise king and such a, such a righteous and wise nation. And so, in many ways, the nations were to be attracted to Israel. Uh, by and large, sometimes you see the, the prophets uh, will be sent out to prophesy. Um, I think maybe even Isaiah, when he's told to go walk uh, naked or whatever, kind of like the, the captives. Once in a while, they're sent to some of the other peoples, but usually they're sent to God's own people because they were rebelling against him. 
Yep. I, say, I think Israel, they were told to be a light as well, that they would show the commandments of the Lord. And then you see in John, like we've been studying and learning about that, Christ is the, the light who comes yeah. from heaven. Yeah. And he's the one yeah. who shines and, yeah. and gives forth. And we're supposed to be children of light. Yeah. You see, you, yeah, uh, very good point. You see that extended then to all believers. I mean, Jesus uniquely so, and not apart from him, but only in Christ. But then, as we're redeemed, uh, we're, we uh, proclaim uh, the message, uh, that even to the point where sometimes people, they're supposed to see, you know, even under trials, uh, under persecution, under sickness, you know, whatever it is, you see kind of people freak out all the chaos if you read uh, too much news <laughs> you know uh, you can start to um, maybe get have some blood pressure problems and such like that but you know as people are fretting about what all is going on uh, in the world and oh no this this nation or that nation or uh, nuclear arms or whatever you know people are fretting about that uh, they you even see in Peter uh, when they ask for the hope that's in you why do you have hope? They come and ask you, and then you have opportunity uh, to testify uh, to what uh, Jesus, uh, the anointed, uh, the Christ, uh, has done in his death, burial, and resurrection. You know, that's why I have hope, uh, because of uh, his promises, his salvation. My, my sins are forgiven. Amen. I'm, I'm, look, I'm, looking to, I'm looking to God's kingdom. That's, that's why I have hope. And so uh, they're even supposed to see a difference that they would then ask us why we have hope. Uh, and, you know, if it doesn't happen, you know, maybe it's a little, little convicting. Uh, boy, we, we, have to stay in, we have to stay in prayer. We have to stay in God's word, uh, not forsake uh, gathering together uh, and, and all, all of that. So, um, but yeah, you see that extended to the church. And you even see the, the offices in some capacity, even all of them, like First Corinthians, where uh, Paul even says, uh, uh, "You're kings, and oh, that we, you know, that we would reign with you." Uh, he says it a little sarcastically, but uh, you know, they're they're going to reign with Christ, uh, and, he, and so you, you see this idea that you know the Corinthians believers they they're going to reign with with Christ. You see that in Romans, uh, but also you see that with the sin and, and the man who had his father's wife. Is probably maybe kind of like a stepmother, um, probably not his direct mother, but uh, he was having relations with his father's own wife. And Paul says, uh, he asks them, uh, I think it's there, do you not know that you will judge angels? And you, you cannot handle this little thing? King, judge, uh, you, you see priest, the priesthood of all believers, uh, that, uh, that Bob has spoken about, that we're to live our lives as a, a living and holy sacrifice uh, dedicated to God. Uh, you even have those themes in uh, Corinthians as well. And he says, you can all, uh, you can all prophesy. And he talks about uh, doing it in order, uh, only uh, there to prepare something, no more than one, uh, one two, or three. Uh, and so there the are various restrictions and such. But in a sense, there he's using it in the sense of uh, making proclamation. It's edification, the proclamation of the word of God, uh, the implications uh, of God's word, and it's tested by the word. 
uh, and even uh, Eric, uh, you made uh, the connection uh, a while back in Revelation that the testimony of Christ is the spirit of prophecy. To testify of the good news, to testify of God's anointed is to prophesy. Uh, it's to proclaim. It's, it's proclamation. And so we have, we have the faith that's once for all delivered to the saints. And it's that uh, that we proclaim. We proclaim the exact same uh, message uh, that the apostles uh, and prophets uh, proclaimed. Uh, and they, they were testified by signs and wonders uh, and those things. But we, we proclaim uh, the very uh, same word uh, and the very same message. And so you see all of those uh, corporate offices applied chiefly to Jesus himself, uh, the eternal son of God, the, uh, the crucified and risen Lord who's seated at the right hand uh, of the Most High. But then uh, believers uh, in, a, in a lesser capacity uh, shouldn't just talk about the priesthood of every believer, but the, the kingship of every believer, uh, the judgeship of every believer, uh, the, the priesthood, and the prophethood, uh, where there's a responsibility for those things. So, like to the Gentiles. Uh, so, yep, that, that's what uh, they were to serve. But you see this contrast uh, in Isaiah between the expectations, the kingdom to come, and the present state of, of the nation by and large uh, besides a remnant. And so let's look at this first song of, of judgment. Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. Uh, well, again, rethink. Isaiah proclaiming to the people. Okay? Uh, proclaiming to the people, uh, to the nation. Uh, we even see he's sent out to Ahaz, uh, you know, outside the temple, city gates. And so he's proclaiming uh, to, to the people. Uh, so ver uh, verse 5, chapter 1. Uh, let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it. And he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. And now, O oh, inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there for me, or what more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? And now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge, and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall, and it will be trampled down. I will make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed. And briars and thorns shall grow up. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. For the vineyard of Yahweh of hosts is the house of Israel. And the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And he looked for justice. But behold, bloodshed for righteousness. But behold, an outcry. And so he, he's proclaiming to the people so that they would hear this, and he starts basically with this parable. Sounds kind of like a love song concerning a vineyard. Uh, and so what, what, what's all, all of this uh, about? And 
my beloved, you know, who, who's the beloved? And, you know, it's, it's, it's not kind of revealed. And a lot of times you have the blurring of the lines between God and his prophet. But part of it is to kind of conceal what the message is here uh, as, as it uh, continues. And you have that turn. You know, everything's fine and dandy. And he looked for its yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. Now we have a problem. Uh, and and uh, there, he then you have all these attention getters. And now, oh, inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah. He's already making proclamation to them, but uh, listen up. Listen up. Uh, judge between me and my vineyard. Uh, and so it connects, connects to them, identifying them, making them think of themselves as inhabitants of Jer- uh, Jerusalem and men of Judah. And so this is now, uh, this is now to, uh, to the southern kingdom, the southern nation, uh, that connects back to David, uh, that, that he's proclaiming to. And it turns into a song of judgment against uh, the people. And so framed between chapters 5 and 12, you start with judgment. It's going to end with salvation. But how are we going to, uh, to get there? Uh, and you see all of, these, all of these things, these judgments, these go back to the curses, uh, the covenantal curses that you find uh, in Leviticus, in Deuteronomy, uh, withholding the rain. Uh, a lot of times uh, it's used as a, a metaphor uh, for his people, a lot of times spoken of as a vineyard uh, and things like that. God's planting, uh, that, uh, that he makes blossom and, and grow and plants along living waters and, uh, and all of that. Uh, but then because of their rebellion, now judgments come upon them, famine, uh, destruction, uh, his, his protection is removed from his people, uh, from the peoples around them, uh, from the wild beasts, uh, from uh, the, uh, the weather, in uh, uh, God's, uh, his provision, his blessing for his people. Instead, you have the covenantal curses that come upon them. And so you have this gradual uh, reveal uh, who exactly he's speaking about. For the vineyard of Yahweh of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed, for righteousness, but behold, an outcry. And so now it connects. He's making proclamation to the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Israel and Judah, so southern. But the planting is northern and southern kingdom, Israel and Judah. It's, it's both of them uh, that these uh, judgments are uh, pronounced against. And so uh, the, this metaphor... Uh, he reveals now what the vineyard is. For uh, the vineyard of Yahweh of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. Uh, he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed. For righteousness, but behold, an outcry. You think about where well, we can go back. Uh, Isaiah's audience wouldn't have Paul, but you have these themes and connections throughout the fruit of the Spirit. God expected fruit from his people. Uh, good fruit, but instead you see that they fill uh, the nation with bloodshed, with outcries, kind of like the generation of the flood uh, that God eventually wiped out. The the whole earth was filled with with bloodshed, and so God finally brought judgment uh, upon them. And so uh, they're a little different than than the nations around them and Sodom and Gomorrah uh, about them. And so that's the fruit 
uh, that he was expecting uh, uh, from them, uh, from those who would uh, believe in him, fear his name, uh, and bear, uh, bear good, good fruit, uh, and the fruit, fruit of good works. And so the Apostle Paul even talks about the fruit of the Spirit. And you see John the Baptist uh, that uh, talks about the axes laid at the root. If the, if the tree doesn't bear fruit, it, it's, uh, it's chopped down and uh, it's cast into the fire. You see those themes throughout concerning Jerusalem as G- Jesus warning in his ministry, John the Baptist, and coming to Jerusalem. And he, he finds that the fig tree didn't hit. It wasn't the season for, for fruit. Uh, one other connection with fruit says from the uh, something about the outpour of the heart, the mouth speaks, mm-hmm. and the fruit of the spirit, you know, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, says by their fruit you shall know them. But I think there's other ways just by, I mean, by their words shows maybe fruit of love, joy, peace, or patience. Too. Goodness, gentleness. Yep. yep. Yeah, I'm just kind of thinking of that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Believers are also tied to this kind of as well. You know, you've got the, the vineyard, the branches, the olive trees, you know. Yeah, we bear fruit by being part of the tree that is Christ, mm-hmm. and He mm-hmm. prunes us and yeah. helps us to bear fruit. Yeah, absolutely. He even talks about those who, in uh, patient endurance, uh, those who in patient uh, endurance or bear fruit in in patient endurance, uh, some, something along uh, those lines. But uh, makes it clear that it's by it's by the Spirit. Uh, no, no other way. Uh, and uh, even uh, Paul, you see that we're not saved by good works, but we're saved for good works. We're saved unto uh, good works that God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them uh, in, uh, in uh, Ephesians. And so uh, keeping those two straight, but yeah, that's connected uh, uh, right, right into it uh, in the New Covenant Promises. And so then you have these, I believe, uh, six woes, and we're going to see this as part of the structure. And we're not going to go, uh, well, maybe we'll go ahead and read through it uh, just with time, and we'll, we'll uh, take uh, two e- evenings, uh, at least part of it. And so you see these six woes, uh, and in total, it, it's going to be somewhat layered, where uh, these woes will then pick up later. And so there's going to be kind of this inverse parallelism in uh, chapters uh, 5, or chiastic structure, 5 through 12. And so later we're going to see the woes pick up again. And so I think here you have six woes, and then you'll see two, two outstretched arms. God outstretches his arm in judgment uh, with the woes that are pronounced on the people. And then it says, and his arm is outstretched still. He's not done judging. Uh, And so those things will uh, pick up once you start moving uh, beyond Isaiah's commissioning, uh, the the sign uh, that's given to Ahaz, uh, and you you see the Isaiah's children, uh, Isaiah's uh, sons, uh, and Maher Shalah Hashbaz. But then you see see this Davidic son in chapter 9. And then again, you return, and God's hand is outstretched still. And then it, it works into the woes again. And so it, it, it's working back through uh, this whole, whole section. And so we're going to see that at the heart of this uh, is, uh, is the, the sign that's given. Isaiah's commissioning and then this 
uh, this sign that's given that's at the heart of the whole section that's ultimately going to lead, well, God's judgment, but then salvation through judgment uh, and his, his ultimate salvation even extending to the end of the, uh, the age. And so you have this first uh, series of woes. And I believe here, uh, we'll cover that more with like the, uh, the outline, uh, but uh, within this section uh, in the later woes, I think you end up with the 10th woe fa- falling upon Assyria, returns from God's people now to Assyria, uh, perhaps even connecting kind of like to the, uh, the 10 plagues uh, where you see some of these Exodus themes that will, uh, will go uh, throughout. Uh, and uh, there, there may be even there are a couple related, so we'll deal with more with that uh, later. Uh, but you see with this bloodshed and outcry, now woes are, are pronounced on the people speaking uh, to the people, uh, inhabitants of Jerusalem and uh, the men of Judah. So, woe to those who join house to house and add field to field until there is no more room and you are made to dwell alone in the midst of the land. Yahweh of hosts has sworn in my hearing, surely many houses shall be desolate, large and beautiful houses without inhabitant. For 10 acres of vineyard shall yield but one bath and a homer of seed shall yield but an ephah. And so those who join house uh, to house, field to field, uh, kind of like when Ahab wanted uh, Naboth's uh, vineyard and Jezebel said, don't worry about it, I'll take care of it. And she had him, she had him killed uh, to take the field so he could add on for, for his palatial uh, kingly estate uh, in Samaria, uh, the, the capital of the northern kingdom Israel. Uh, and so... Uh, dealing here with uh, those who uh, probably have some means uh, and wealth, but who abuse it because there were certain restrictions, certain land that could be exchanged, but there was certain land that could not be exchanged uh, under their laws uh, and that, that no tribes would be left without land, without an inheritance uh, and peoples and their father's houses. Uh, but here they're uh, rebelling against God's word uh, in building their uh, palatial uh, uh, estates uh, until there's no <laughs> little uh, hyperbole. So woe to those who join house to house and add field to field until there, is no, until there is no more room and you are made to dwell alone in the midst of the land. <laughs> so it's kind of like they, they bought it all up and you know no one can dwell there anymore because uh, just one person owns it all. Uh, so uh, it's a little bit of exaggeration, you know, maybe, but uh, gets, gets the point uh, across. Uh, Yahweh of hosts has sworn in my hearing, surely many houses shall be desolate. And so, kind of like Talionis, or the, uh, the, uh, the judgment, the punishment fits the crime. You see that again and again. Uh, the, the accusation against them, but then the judgment that comes upon them. The Lord of hosts has sworn in my hearing, surely many houses shall be desolate, large and beautiful houses without inhabitant, for ten acres of vineyard shall yield but one bath, and a homer of seed shall yield but an ephah, so much for all of your land. Uh, And then you have the second wall. 
Well, it's counting as we go along. Uh, Woe to those who rise early in the morning uh, that they may run after strong drink, who tarry late into the evening as wine inflames them. They have lyre and harp, tambourine and flute, and wine at their feasts, but they do not regard the deeds of Yahweh or see the work of his hands. Therefore, my people go into exile for lack of knowledge. Their honored men go hungry, and their multitude is parched with thirst. Therefore, Sheol, the abode of the dead, has enlarged its appetite and opened its mouth beyond measure. And the nobility of Jerusalem and her multitude will go down, her revelers and her, uh, and he who exalts in her. A man is humbled, and each one is brought low, and the eyes of the uh, the haughty are uh, brought low. Um, but Yahweh of hosts is exalted in justice, and the holy God shows himself holy in righteousness. Uh, then shall the lambs graze as in their pasture, and the nomads shall eat among the ruins of the rich. Uh, as that concludes it, then shall the lambs graze as in their pasture, and nomads shall eat among uh, the ruins of uh, the rich. So those who go after strong drink and rise early in the morning, who revel and revel, but pay no attention to the word of God or remember uh, his deeds. Uh, third woe. Woe to those who draw iniquity with cords of falsehood, who draw sin as with cart ropes, who say, let him be quick. Uh, let him speed his work, that we may see it. Uh, let the counsel of the Holy One of Israel draw near, and let it come, that we may know it. Mocking, uh, mocking God. It's not going nah, to come to pass. Uh, so they draw their iniquity and sins with cart ropes. Uh, that's the third woe. Fourth woe, and you see them picking up. Uh, the, the first ones, they're a little longer. Uh, they get shorter and shorter. Uh, fourth woe, woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Fifth woe. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and shrewd in their own sight. Sixth woe. Woe to those who are heroes at drinking wine and valiant men in mixing strong drink, who acquit the guilty for a bribe and deprive the innocent of his right. Therefore, as the tongue of fire devours the stubble, and as grass, uh, as dry grass sinks down in the flame, so their root shall be as rottenness, and their blossom go up like dust. For they have rejected the law of Yahweh of hosts, and have despised the word of the Holy One of Israel. Therefore the anger of Yahweh was kindled against his people, and he stretched out his hand against them and struck them, and the mountains quaked, and their corpses were as refuse in the midst of the streets. For all this, his anger has not turned away, and his hand is stretched out still. And there you have the first time God stretches out his hand in judgment uh, following the six woes. And then you see his hand is stretched out still. Uh, and uh, there will be more of those as you get uh, into Isaiah 9, I believe, verse uh, 7 uh, and uh, on. And then back into the woes uh, is, as well. And so 
you see this, this uh, final judgment coming on the people following all the woes. Uh, verse 24, uh, therefore, as the tongue of fire uh, devours the stubble and as grass sinks down into flame, so their root will be as rottenness and their blossom go up like the dust. Uh, kind of even vineyard themes and things like that again. Uh, for they have rejected the law of Yahweh of hosts and have despised the word of the Holy One of Israel. Therefore, the anger of Yahweh was kindled against his people and he stretched out his hand against them and struck them and the mountains quaked and their corpses were as refuse in the midst of uh, the streets. Uh, and they had a grand earthquake. Uh, forget the year. Uh, it was maybe somewhere around 760, 765 uh, B.C. that some of the other prophets uh, speak about. I think Micah uh, refers to it, and some of the others uh, can give more information on that, uh, that uh, really left a mark uh, on the people. Uh, the devastation was uh, uh, was so great. And so speaking about judgment that has come upon the people for the rejection uh, of of God's uh, God's law, his, his word. Uh, the, uh, Therefore the anger of... Uh, Lord was kindled against his people. He stretched out his hand against them and struck them and the mountains quaked and their corpses were his refuse in the midst of the streets. For all this, his anger has not turned away and his hand is stretched out still. He's not done. Uh, and here we see connections that we want to have revelation of who the people is, but we're going to see it as we get into to Isaiah's commissioning and the sign that he gives uh, to Ahaz, uh, the Alma, uh, the uh, has, has conceived uh, and is bearing a son and shall call his name uh, God with us, uh, Immanuel. And so uh, we're going to see that this is uh, drawing on the Assyrians, uh, especially in, in their own day. So his hand is stretched out still. He will raise a signal for nations far away and whistle for them from the ends of the earth. And behold, quickly, speedily they come. None is weary, none stumbles, none slumbers or sleeps. Not a waistband is loose, not a sandal strap broken. Their arrows are sharp and all their bows bent. Their horses' hoofs seem like flint uh, and their wheels like the whirlwind. Their roaring is like a lion, like... Young lions, they roar, they growl and seize their prey. They carry it off and none can rescue. They growl over it on that day like the growling of the sea. And if one looks to the land, behold, darkness and distress and the light is darkened by its clouds. And so you, you see this darkness that comes uh, upon them on that day that these things will come, uh, the nations, uh, the peoples, and then uh, just quickly glance at uh, chapter, uh, the very end of chapter 8, going into 9. Uh, and so uh, look at chapter 8, verse 21. They will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry, and when they are hungry, they will be enraged, and they will speak contemptuously against their king and their god. Two things that were uh, forbidden. Uh, and turn their faces upward, and they will look to the earth. Look up, look, look down, 
but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. So chapter 6 ended with darkness, and now it begins with darkness, and you see a transition to light uh, and the the promise uh, to come. Uh, A child is born to us, a son, war is done away with, uh, but then it goes back into the, uh, again, outstretched arms. Uh, God's arm is still outstretched, the woes, but ultimately to the promises in chapter 11, uh, one shall uh, arise, the root of Jesse, uh, and Song of Salvation in chapter 12. So, well, we're covering a little more depth than I intended, but uh, gives a little bit of a survey. Uh, uh, we'll cover uh, uh, more of this, uh, Lord willing, uh, next time. I just want to connect it to this important uh, prophecy and really understanding it in the context of Isaiah, which gives it a level of depthness or uh, depth and richness uh, that uh, is far more than just a, a small little uh, proof text, but is woven throughout Isaiah uh, and throughout throughout Matthew, Luke, uh, and uh, all the way to uh, to Revelation. So let's just close with prayer. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for your word. Uh, Thank you for your prophet Isaiah um, for speaking and recording these things. I pray that your word would uh, weigh upon us uh, that uh, if uh, we've uh, sinned against you uh, and if uh, we're walking in sin, that I pray that you grant us repentance, that we would turn back to you, uh, turn to your son, uh, that we would hold fast to to him, uh, to his finished work, his death, burial, and resurrection for uh, the forgiveness of sins and eternal life uh, and uh, an inheritance in your everlasting kingdom. And so uh, we thank you for your promises. We thank you for your son. Uh, and pray that you give us a deeper understanding uh, of these things. Uh, and uh, knowledge of you uh, and of your son uh, for that uh, truly is uh, your salvation. And so we uh, give you all the praise and honor and glory and pray that you'd bring us uh, together on Sunday and uh, in, uh, when we meet, Lord, uh, if you will, uh, in a couple weeks. Uh, amen. Amen.